While your day is winding down, they're just getting started. This is South Coast Tonight with Chris McCarthy and Marcus Farrow. They've got you covered on all the news of the day, from local issues to politics on both sides of the aisle. This is the place where the movers and shakers come to be heard, to listen, and where they're held accountable. This is South Coast Tonight on WBSM. us. He's wrapping up the second year of his first term in Congress. He ran unopposed uh, this cycle, so he will be going back to Congress and being sworn in in the new Congre Congress on January 3rd. Congressman Auchincloss, thanks for joining me. How are you? Good to be with you again. So um, the first, uh, so, uh, you know, I'm looking at your um, end of the year memo. You, you, you know, were very active, uh, a very active legislator, especially for a freshman in Congress. One of the things that you fought hard on, which seems obscure to a lot of people, but is really important for your district and for this region of the Commonwealth, was uh, removing some uh, removing some language in the National uh, Defense Authorization Act uh, for that you said would constrain available ships and mariners to construct and maintain offshore wind turbines. Can you explain a little bit about what that amendment was and how you led the effort to uh, squash that amendment in Congress? Yes. What this comes down to is the importance of offshore wind for jobs and economic development and for cheap, clean energy for years to come. President Biden has announced a goal to get 30 gigawatts of offshore wind energy by 2030, the so-called 30 by 30 goal. Massachusetts, because of its position next to a huge amount of offshore wind in southeastern Mass, could account for up to 10 of those 30 gigawatts by 2030. That means, one cheaper energy to heat our homes, uh, to get off this roller coaster uh, where Massachusetts is subject to the price of LNG, where the United States is subject to the whims of dictators in Saudi Arabia and Russia and Venezuela and Iran for the price of our energy. Uh, and number three, it means jobs and economic development for Southeastern Mass, the ability to create a new cluster uh, for Southeastern Mass that brings to bear the region's tremendous expertise and legacy in maritime science, technology, and precision manufacturing. So offshore wind is important. It's important for Massachusetts. And one of my jobs as the district's representative has been to fight ferociously to ensure that Massachusetts can be North America's hub of offshore wind and to get the economic returns and the clean energy returns that that entails. This provision as you said, obscure, tucked away in you know, the bureaucratic language of a, of a Coast Guard bill, would have put requirements on offshore wind maintenance and construction that would have made the development inviolable for, inviolable, excuse me, for somewhere between five to 10 years. Eventually it may have become viable again, but we would have lost about five to 10 years due to protectionist measures around crewing and flag of the, flagging of the vessels. Um, at a time when the industry is so fragile, it's just getting off the ground, we need to make sure it has all the uh, regulatory pathways and funding mechanisms that it needs to flourish. 
Um, and simultaneously, we need to be doing workforce and shipbuilding development so that we can create a whole cluster of an industry here. And so I've done work on both fronts, protecting the ability for us to do offshore wind development and also getting funding for the National Offshore Wind Institute to train mariners for this exciting and growing new field. So we're speaking with Congressman Jake Auchincloss of the 4th Congressional District. Um, so, uh, so Congressman, speaking of offshore winds, uh, in, your, in this past year, President Biden did uh, pay a visit to your, your district specifically and make an address uh, to the entire country uh, supporting offshore wind. It was a major speech in his climate agenda. It was in your district in Somerset. I spoke with you uh, later that evening uh, on the air, but uh, what did it mean to you? What does it mean for the offshore wind industry here in the South Coast and nationally that President Biden was able to, uh, uh, wanted to make a point to, to appear there and to make that endorsement? It underscored exactly my point earlier, which is Massachusetts has the potential to be the hub of offshore wind and to be at the forefront of the transition from fossil fuel to clean energy, energy that is good for our air, our water, our soil, and that's too cheap to meter. Uh, and so to have Brayton Point in Somerset be the backdrop for the president's speech emphasized the opportunity that we have and how critical it is that we don't lose that opportunity. At the state level, with the leadership of, of Chairman Jeff Roy and others at the State House, Massachusetts passed a good bill for offshore wind. So at the federal level, we've got to complement that bill with, uh, with the right regulations and policies to promote this industry. Because Massachusetts can lead the way, and there's a lot of good jobs to be had. So we're speaking with Congressman Jake Auchincloss. Um, so you, uh, you have been, uh, over the past year, as the situation in Ukraine has, con uh, has unfolded, an outspoken voice on... Um, foreign policy in that uh, in that area. You are a veteran yourself. You served uh, in the Marine Corps. Uh, you signed a, a uh, you authored a bipartisan letter ur urging the Department of Treasury to set a G7 endorsed price cap on Russian oil purchases. You also uh, had a, a joint letter with uh, Liz Cheney um, talking about uh, the war in Ukraine. So um, why did you think it was important to speak uh, to to be an outspoken critic of the Putin regime in Russia and uh, try to be a policy leader in this area? Ukraine is fighting on the front lines of the free world right now. Yes, this is about Ukraine itself. It's about its territorial integrity. It's about its democracy. It's about it, the ability of its people to determine their own path forward. But it's also bigger than one country. It is about the global fight between democracy and autocracy. Uh, that fight happens between nations, as we're seeing right now in Ukraine, but it also happens within nations, as we have seen, unfortunately, in the United States on January 6th. And to me, it is the defining geopolitical struggle of our era. And we have to send a message to the authoritarian regime in the Kremlin, as well as in Beijing and elsewhere, that the United States is always going to stand on the side of freedom and democracy, and that might does not make right. We will defend the post-war rules-based order that has spread peace and prosperity to more people. I'll also add, it's not just an ideological, it's not just a moral or geopolitical issue. It's a darn good return on investment. What I mean by that is we have spent, you know, round numbers here, roughly about 7% of the annual military budget, 7% of the annual military budget on aid to Ukraine. With that funding, Ukraine has 
destroyed up to 50% of Russia's conventional military capacity. That's an unbelievable, right. that's an unbelievable bang for your buck, no right. pun intended. Absolutely. We've also doubled or about to double NATO's border with Russia. We have induced the Germans to increase their defense spending domestically. We've induced the Japanese and the Taiwanese to, in, to increase their defense spending domestically. Every dollar that we send out the door to Ukraine is coming back tenfold in returns on international security. So we're speaking with Congressman Jake Auchincloss, uh, bringing it back to the fourth year. Uh, we talked about President Biden visiting your district. I know during your first term, you've had uh, Nancy Pelosi, Second Gentleman Doug Emhoff in your district uh, as well. Uh, you um, have secured the highest amount of funding for di- uh, uh, district earmarks uh, in your district more uh, as compared to the rest of the congressional delegation in the Commonwealth. Uh, this is your first term. Everybody else in that delegation has served longer than uh, one term. How were you able to, to secure more than the rest of the congressional delegation? Well, I mean, it's not a competition. Everybody is... Isn't it, though? <laughs> <laughs> it, to me, it's less about dollar amount and more about impact on quality of life for my constituents. One of the big focus areas for us, really the last two years, but particularly this last cycle, was water quality. PFAS, um, dredging, you know, not glamorous stuff here, not stuff that, uh, you know, you can cut ribbons for necessarily, but things that really matter for uh, long-term public health and economic development for towns in the district and that are very expensive to do, usually with beyond the annual budget of one town. They need to leverage some federal dollars. So we really have a focus on water. We've also done some work on, on critical transportation nodes. Um, but I'm going to continue to operate that way. And another thing I really try to do is, is bring in the state delegation to these conversations. It's not just like I sit there and decide. I, I do a lot of time uh, in one-on-one meetings with both municipal leaders, but then also the state senators and state reps, because... When all three levels of governance are aligned and rowing in the same direction on a, on a given project, you know, I'll say, hey, I can get this much at the federal level. How much can you get at the state level? How much can you do at the local level? That's when you can count up to 100 percent and actually get something done. So speaking of that, um, I, you know, I was actually recently speaking with a, a good friend of mine, um, uh, Selectman uh, Trevor Matthews in Freetown. He said he's spoken with you about issues going on in this district and how your office could uh, could help. Um, you've, you've met with everybody, all 34 cities and towns in your district, elected officials. Um, and you were yourself a municipal elected official. When I first met you, you were Newton City Council, Jake Auchincloss. And how has that experience as a municipal elected official uh, uh, lended to your congressional experience in getting things done for your district? Well, local governance is the best level of government in America. And just look at your own mayor, John Mitchell, who uh, just, I meet with John or talk to John fairly regularly, and, and his command of the issues, his um, responsiveness and accountability to the residents of New Bedford. It's really impressive, and I see that up and down the district um, with local leaders. They, they they just understand their constituents' desires. It's almost always less partisan, less ideologically uh, uh, potent than at the federal level, much more blocking and tackling, much more pragmatic. It's just a very refreshing set of conversations to be able to have. And I work with Republican mayors in the district. I work with Democratic mayors in the district. 
and will continue to because that's how you get stuff done for constituents. So we're speaking with Congressman Jake Auchincloss in the 4th Congressional District. So you were, um, you know, we've talked about the, the, the national stuff that you've been a leader on. We're talking a little bit about the local stuff. A lot of people don't know. Um, the constituent services, really, that a congressional office can provide. Uh, you've uh, had uh, over 2.2 million tax re- uh, tax refunds returned, um, 1,600 uh, over 1,600 casework inquiries completed, um, uh, helped over 160 constituents ob- obtaining social security benefits. So, what um, what are uh, some of the constituent services that your office has done, and how uh, have you been able to? Um, excel in that in that area and delivering for your constituents. My terrific district staff ha- handles a wide portfolio of issues: postal service, veterans affairs, passports and visas, housing issues, um, disaster relief issues. Uh, looks probably the biggest couple of buckets are issues with immigration and visas. That's always very involved, very frustrating because our immigration system is so broken. Of course. Um, and then we another huge set of bucket buckets are Social Security support, where for whatever reason, bureaucratic or otherwise, there's just a snafu and we've got to try to get people their Social Security checks. Uh, and then finally, tax returns with the IRS. Um, IRS is, I would not describe them as a particularly responsive agency <laughs> yeah. to taxpayers. Right. Long, long wait lines. And for that reason, we've, we've funded the IRS in the last set of bills to give them more staff so that they can fairly and quickly respond to folks. But we also spend a lot of time beating on their door to make sure people are getting made whole if there was a tax issue. So we're speaking with Congressman Jake Auchincloss. Uh, so you, you've um, you've been you know we uh, little, going a little bit back to the war in Ukraine. You had you had issued I remember a uh, a letter basically saying that there was some push there was some push for the um, in the more progressive wing of the Democratic Party to open a dialogue with Putin. You had called that an olive branch to, uh, with a war criminal. You've been critical here on this show from people from the from the left flank of your party. You've obviously been critical of Republicans. As as a member of the Democratic Caucus in the House, um, where and I know you've worked with AOC, you've worked with Liz Cheney. So, where do you p- uh, position yourself in the ideological spectrum of your uh, of the Democratic Party? I reject the idea that I, I need to put a pin on a, a one dimensional map and say here's where I am. It's issue by issue. I approach each issue with an open mind and. I look at what are my district's values, what are my district's priorities, and then what does informed expert analysis suggest uh, is the right path forward here. And I try to triangulate against those issues. So on climate action and clean energy, I have been boldly progressive because we need to guarantee clean air, clean water, clean soil, and clean energy for the next generation. It's not just an environmental imperative, it's an economic one as well. Um, but I also fully recognize that there are issues where, uh, you know, you're not going to be able to just pass things with Democratic votes. It's just not how Congress works. Immigration is a, is a prime one. There is no universe in which we do immigration reform without both parties coming to the table and compromising. It's just, it's just not possible mathematically in Washington, D.C. And what that means is, we know that's going to be three parts to this compromise. A secure border that cracks down on drug and human trafficking, helping to address 
the root causes of migration in the nations of origin by mitigating poverty and crime, and documentation and dignity for those living in the United States and for those who are seeking residence here. We need to do those three things comprehensively, and we need to integrate them together. It's going to be a tough vote for both sides. Both sides are going to have to take a tough vote to get that done because the respective flanks of each party will, without question, look at the 10% that's not there or the 10% that is there that they don't like and try to torpedo it. But I'm willing to have those tough negotiations and to take a tough vote. I just haven't seen the House GOP evince any interest in doing so. I see them campaigning on this issue. I don't necessarily see them trying to solve it. So we're speaking with Congressman Jake Auchincloss. Uh, so you, in your end-of-the-year memo, you, uh, you're described as an effective surrogate for the Biden administration. You've made an appearance uh, on, uh, you've made an appearance on um, more left-leaning networks like MSNBC and said the left has to be less critical of Biden. Um, is, you know, does that mean that the left, you know, the Democratic Party cannot criticize Biden where needed? Or do you think that Biden is uh, unduly criticized by people on the left flank of the party? Well, of course, the, the party or members of the party should criticize the president when they disagree with him. I, I, this is not a dictatorship. I mean, we need to have Congress as the Article One branch of government, and it needs to defend its constitutional prerogative as the lawmaking branch. And absolutely, members of Congress should uh, put some distance between themselves and the president on areas of, of disagreement. I've done so. Uh, I did so, for example, on student debt cancellation, which... I think there were more fair, more economically uh, sound ways to lower people's debt burden, ways that helped uh, members of my district who didn't get a four-year degree, who might be suffering from medical debt instead of college debt, for example. Uh, and, you know, I'll continue to do that because that's my job. I, I answer to the people of the Massachusetts Fourth. Those, they're, they're my boss. Uh, having said that, I, I think the president has had a, a highly productive first two years in office. He took over and faced immediately an insurrection. Yeah. He faced a public health crisis, a, a pandemic, uh, and uh, he he's responded by working with Congress to get generational investments in infrastructure, science, semiconductor manufacturing, clean energy, climate action, gun safety, aid to Ukraine. He's ended a forever war. He has... Uh, he's, he's been effective. We're speaking with Congressman Jake Auchincloss from the 4th Congressional District. So you're no longer going to be in the, uh, the majority uh, when, you, uh, when you get sworn in for your next term on January 3rd. It'll be your first uh, time as a member of the minority party in Congress. What are you expecting? Uh, how are you going to navigate that? Well, I'm going to help get back in the majority. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to get too comfortable in the minority because it's not where I want to be. Right. We want to get back to the majority in 2024. I think we saw in 2022 that at a midterm cycle that by historic standards, Democrats were expected to lose you know, 25 to 30 seats, and we lost instead less than 10. I, I think that shows that <clears throat> uh, it's winnable in 24, and voters rejected extremism on democracy and, and women's rights from the GOP. So we know what we have to do. We've got to put candidates in the field who are authentic to their districts, who can talk in concrete, specific ways about lowering costs for, for families, uh, and who can draw a sharp contrast between themselves and, and an out-of-touch, out-of-the-mainstream agenda 
uh, of GOP candidates. I'm going to help Democrats do that. I helped in 2022. I'll help in 24. Uh, but that doesn't mean that I'm going to spend the next two years just sitting here being a, a, a fighter. Uh, that really is, is more up to the GOP. The GOP is going to take the gavel, and with the gavel comes the initiative. If they want to propose thoughtful, good-faith ways to lower costs or to achieve clean energy independence, absolutely I'll work with them. I, I have ideas for areas of, of bipartisan consensus. We can go after pharmacy benefit managers to lower prescription drug prices. We can look, work on permitting for clean energy projects. There's a lot of good areas, workforce development issues, a lot of good areas to work together. But if they spend two years you know, going down a rabbit hole of Hunter Biden's laptop, then you know, that doesn't help my constituents. I don't see what that does for the Massachusetts forest, and, and I'm going to push back hard. We're speaking with Congressman Jake Auchincloss, uh, the 4th Congressional District. So um, one thing I want to do to, to cap off with is uh, you've made over 115 local and national uh, television appearances. Uh, you've been very available to the me- uh, the media. You've come on uh, this local program and my old local program uh, multiple times. Um, why do you think it's important to make so many media uh, appearances, uh, you know, especially, you know, this this early in your term as uh, as a congressman? Well, one, it's a fractured media environment, and so I've got to go everywhere and talk to everyone. I, unfortunately, or uh, maybe it's not unfortunately, but there's not one or two places like there used to be in the broadcast days where you reach a large, a large audience. It's, it's a kaleidoscope of forums. So it's teletown halls, it's radio stations, it's newspaper articles, it's cable news, it's nightly news, uh, coffees with your congressman, teletown halls. I do it all because my constituents get information in different ways and it's my responsibility to reach them in the format that they want to get information in. Um, so that's, that's number one. And number two is if I'm not communicating, uh, others are going to fill that vacuum. And unfortunately we've seen in this political environment that oftentimes people with an agenda uh, of their own have tried to create outrage as a service tactics where they, they want to tell you all the people to hate and all the things to, uh, to oppose in order to get clicks or eyeballs. And that's just not my style. I, I, I want to try to actually communicate objectively and think about ways we can make progress. And so I don't want to let that vacuum get filled by those with an outrage as a service model. But also, Marcus, I just love, you know, love hanging out with you. So we'll always come back. <laughs> I appreciate that. And actually, I look forward to speaking with you more uh, as your as your next uh, term, um, as your next term unfolds. Congressman, thank you so much for joining me. And again, I look forward to talking with you again in the future. Yeah. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. You as well. Thank you. That was Congressman Jake Auchincloss from the 4th Congressional District wrapping up his first term in Congress. Certainly uh, a lot of headline-grabbing moments and I think a lot of good production uh, from one of the South Coast's, from both of the South Coast congressmen, but we were speaking with, uh, of course, Congressman Jake Auchincloss. We're going to take a break. Uh, that was the last guest of the evening, so now till 10, we got open phone lines. Open app chat messages, 508-996-0500 is how you can get on the program this evening. I'm going to take a quick break. This is South Coast Tonight. I'm Marcus Farrow. 1420 WBSM. Welcome back to the program. I'm Marcus Farrow. 508-996-0500 is how you can get on the program this evening. 
We're uh, also taking messages on the WBSM app chat if you'd like to join in the, on the conversation or perhaps start a new conversation. It's uh, it's up to you. Um, so that was Congressman Jake Auchincloss. I mean, he so he got in. It's pretty interesting because I remember in 2020, I covered this. I met I met Congressman Auchincloss along with the rest of the candidates in that race. But I met him when he was running for the fourth congressional district. He was um, he was uh, he was one of oh God, I can't even remember. It was like 10 candidates around there. But it was a very competitive Democratic primary. And he had won, but he, he had won not by a lot. He'd beaten Jesse Mermel, who was, came in second, uh, who um, I think was a more member of the more progressive wing of the party, um, but had beaten her just by, uh, you know, not by a lot, but then he had, I think in his term in con- first term in Congress really positioned himself to be, uh, to one, I think vote on progressive matters. You heard him talk about on certain matters such as climate. He is progressive and in some areas he's a bit more, uh, moderate, um, so uh, he ran unopposed this this go around. He was the only member, I believe, of the congressional delegation that ran unopposed. To be fair, um, out of all nine, I don't think anybody had any real challenge uh, in the uh, congressional races. I think the last real challenge actually in the in the congressional for a congressional House seat uh, by Republicans was when Richard Tissay, who was the state Senate majority leader, Ran on the first ticket with Baker, the unsuccessful ticket uh, with uh, Deval Patrick. Um, I believe he, when he ran uh, against uh, Tierney, um, that vote that was a very very close election. I think that was back in 2012. But in any event, he ran unopposed uh, this year. I think he's certainly been. Um, I think he went in. You know, I think there's a lot of members of Congress that go to Congress and just. Like, that's what they, they're just members of Congress. They go in, they take votes, they go home. Might go to some ribbon cuttings, might go to some things. But I think Jake Auchincloss has really made a point to um, be a leader on a lot of policy issues that are really important. Not just here, but obviously he's been a very vocal um, person on the, a vocal member of Congress on policy regarding you know, the war in Ukraine and Russia's, uh, you know, invasion of Ukraine. And he feels very strongly about uh, supporting um, the Ukrainian people and, and staving Russia's uh, invasion off, I think, you know, what he says to um, to great success. So um, I think he's been a good congressman. I think Congressman King, I think South Coast has two very, very good members of Congress. Congressman King obviously chairs the subcommittee on on uh, Europe, energy, and the environment, and so he has been uh, really one of the the leading experts on on Russian uh, on Russians, you know, growing uh, you know political uh, foreign uh, foreign policy foreign policy orbit too. So, um, but he 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 won in he won in uh, in twenty twenty one that primary. He obviously won the general pretty easily. Uh, was uh, I mean yeah won the general pretty easily at a Republican challenger it wasn't really much uh, you know once you in, in Massachusetts once you won the Democratic primary which can be close elections and it wasn't his case uh, you, you're you know pretty much you're guaranteed to win the general but um, he again after a close primary there was some talks about him 
getting a challenge from maybe Mermel or someone more in the left flank of the party, which obviously he's criticized. The last time he was on, actually, he did talk about a little bit about how the Democrats' success in this last midterm election was due to taking a more um, triangulated position on things, more moderate uh, congressmen. Uh, more moderate members of Congress uh, were were the ones that were successful. Now, progressive members of Congress have seen a lot of success in re-election, even in competitive districts. But um, I think he does make some good points in that there are certain areas of the country where, you know, you're not going to get someone who is like an AOC or Rashida Tlaib, right? You're going to have to get somebody who's a bit more moderate, uh, even conservative on certain issues, but will vote with Democrats on issues that matter. And I think that was one of the reasons why, like he said, that Democrats have really done, you know, they really exceeded expectations with this, with this uh, most recent election. They didn't, they lost fewer than 10 house seats, which is unprecedented for a party that's out of, uh, out of power. And they gained, uh, they gained a uh, Senate seat, right? The net was fit. They netted uh, 51 Senate seats. In fact, I don't think they lost a Senate. They didn't lose a uh, a Democrat re- running for reelection. I think they all won, uh, including some that people thought were going to lose, like Cortez Masto in Nevada. Some of that has to do, I think, with Republicans running bad candidates and Republicans having, you know, some of the uh, Trump legacy or Trump having Trump tied to them uh, pretty effectively um, by Democrats and campaigns. But again, a really interesting conversation with the congressman, uh, as we talked about, he's made 115 media appearances, uh, I think, over the last just the last year and uh, including, um, you know, making himself available to the the uh, the local conversation. You know, he doesn't represent New Bedford, but he, you know, if we have a lot of listeners in Freetown, in the Fall River area, in Lakeville, uh, in Taunton, and those are areas he represents. In fact, um, our reach is, is going even to Attleboro now uh, because of the, uh, a, lot of the, a lot of that because of the uh, Bristol County Sheriff's uh, election and obviously Sheriff-elect Rowe being uh, the outgoing mayor of Attleboro too. So um, I think, again, uh, has has done a good job i think is going to be a i think is going to i think is positioning himself for eventually getting a, a i think a leadership role in the uh, in the house of representatives uh at some point i mean he's young enough he's like my age right he's I think he's 30 i'm 33 i think he's 34 so i think he's really positioned himself well to um to to be uh, a leader in congress uh going forward. So that was a really good conversation uh, with with him. And I, I really enjoyed it. I always enjoy having those uh, discussions with him uh, when he comes on. In fact, like last time I saw him in person was in Fall River, uh, him and Elizabeth Warren, um, along with members of the state, you know, the state uh, delegation like Mike Rodericks and Carol Fiola were, were at uh, Durfee High School talking about how they had secured uh, $14 million uh, for um, for, uh, you know, pipeline, uh, an overhaul of the lead pipe system in Fall River and for um, uh, electric powered school buses, which obviously it's part of a larger effort to, um, you know, reduce uh, the the uh, reduce carbon footprint and have a more, you know, uh, climate sustainable 
um, fleet of buses. So we're going to take a quick break now. 508-996-0500 is how you can get uh, on the program this evening. And uh, I'm going to take a quick break and uh, we'll be right back. This is South Coast Tonight and I'm, uh, I'm Marcus Farrow. New Bedford's News Talk Station, 1420 WBSM. Hey, Pete. Some help. Spent all day hearing about the news. Now's your chance to react to it. Pick up your phone and call the professionals. Call Chris and Marcus now at 508-996-0500. Or send a text via app chat on the WBSM app. Now, back to South Coast Tonight. Welcome back to South Coast Tonight. I'm Marcus Farrow. 508-996-0500. Saying in the program this evening. Let's go to the phones. Good evening. Marcus, how are you? Hey, Barry, what's up? Talk about Christmas shopping here. How how early, uh, and by the way, you are an extra special big brother to uh, your brother Isaiah. How, how early do you start shopping for, for him? I mean, honestly, I typically, like around now, I'd be getting stuff done. But uh, I actually took the initiative and had everything pretty much wrapped up uh, by er- earlier this week. I've, I've bought in presents for everybody. So That's awesome. Bought and bought. You're, you're a great big brother. But, Marcus, I have to, one of my rules has always been that the first gift that you buy is always for your mom, right? Right. How are we doing there? Oh yeah, no. She's. I've. I've gotten. I, I got. I, I've got her a, a few things, and uh, they're all. Uh, they're all wrapped. Ra- those are. Those are wrapped. There's a couple. Awesome. Yeah, those are wrapped. So. That's awesome, but by wrapped, Marcus. I mean here's. I don't wrap. I put stuff in bags. So it's in a. It's in a gift bag. So. That's. It that, works. It works. It works. Yeah. But you, you, you still have those great values that were instilled to you, Marcus. And you're you're <laughs> a great, uh, great son and a great big brother. So, hey, listen, I don't know what you got me again, but whatever it was, right? So last year, it would have been the same thing except one size bigger, but I lost 25 pounds. So you can give me the same thing, one size smaller. Okay, pal? Okay, yeah, sounds good. <laughs> good job, Mark. Keep up. Love keep, you. Keep up the good work, buddy. Merry Christmas. You, you too, guys. Thank you very much. Good night, Take care. Bye. Um, so 508-996-0500. Yeah, I took the initiative. I got my Christmas shopping done uh, earlier this year. I've gotten a few things for, for people. And uh, I, I got to tell you, I don't really enjoy it, uh, like, going out. Like, I enjoy getting people presents. I don't enjoy the process of... of, of uh, of securing those presents, you know, going to the stores this time of year is an incredible pain. Um, but, uh, I have actually, you know, where I, I like to go and I've gone now is to a lot of local gift shops, you know, um, and, and gotten some stuff. So I, I think gift shops are, are probably my favorite, um, place to go Christmas shopping for, for people, uh, because I think you can find some really, neat personalized stuff that you necessarily don't you, you can't necessarily find at a department store now i did go to department stores too but um i do like the uh, the gift shops to get some some things i think there's there's a lot more i think opportunity to get something a bit more thoughtful when you go to like a a local gift shop uh so um i did that and then i got some stuff into you know a couple things in the department store I did go to the mall, uh, the Dartmouth Mall, and uh, got some things there uh, as well. So, um, yeah, uh, it was it was good. 
it's all uh it's all set i actually feel a lot better because i'm typically uh i know everybody says this but it's true like i usually like the 23rd typically is when i go christmas shopping you heard mayor mitchell say the same thing i typically go on the 23rd but i'm all uh which would be tomorrow but i'm all um i'm all set i'm all ready for uh i'm ready for christmas bring it bring it on Right. So uh, 508-996-0500 is how you can get on. I'm going to take another break and then I will be right back. This is South Coast Tonight. I'm Marcus Farrow. Good evening. Good evening and (laughs) almost Merry Christmas. (laughs) You too. Um, What do I want to talk about tonight? Um, he He was a fighter and he died in a plane crash. From New Bedford, Andrea McCoy. Did you ever hear of him? Uh, yes, I have, yeah. Uh, interesting. I can't find any footage on him. Uh, but if he had lived, he would have ran in with the likes of Larry Holmes, Mike Tyson, Evander Holyfield. He would have probably ran into an older Holmes, but he would have fought, fought um, a prime Tyson and Holyfield, so I don't know how good McCoy was. I heard he was a good fighter, and I don't know how he would have done against those guys, but I know it's just a shame that we have a shortage of heavyweight boxes this day and age that, uh, I mean, I know he's from the past, but it's a shame that somebody like that perishes, especially when that era was pretty, um, I would say... Uh, originally, it was dot on the downfall, and then it started getting exciting for a while. Yeah. So it would have been interesting to see how he would have done. And if anybody out here um, has seen that gentleman fight or has footage of it, um, call in and let, let me know. I want to know how this guy fought. I want to know how good this guy was. Was he a power puncher? Was he a stylist? Was he a big heavyweight, a small heavyweight? So yeah, I think um, he died in like uh, it's Andre McCoy. I think he in a plane crash, and it was yeah, it was like eighty. Was, it was like the late eighties, right? What was no nineteen eighty? It? it was nineteen eighty. Okay, yeah, they have a memorial for him up by the high school there. Yeah, um, yeah. He died. There was another. Did they, didn't they name post- the uh, Didn't they name a building after him? Yes, they did. Yeah. I think there's a couple of things named after him. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, a radio station. Yeah, I'm not as I'm not as familiar. But if someone, yeah, if someone knows, give give us a call. Uh, we can um, we can definitely talk about it. Uh, but I, I don't know a lot myself, other than the details that you told me. I heard a I heard a little bit from Brian Gomes. Um, I was talking to Brian Gomes about him. Yeah, he would he would know. Yeah. But he didn't give me that much detail. You know who would know? Was- you know no, listen, you know who would know? Uh, and I don't, I don't think he's in this Saturday, but Ken Pittman would 